This is Farin Azrali, and today I'm delighted to be in conversation with Stephen Halpern, who is a Grammy Award nominee recording artist, a pioneer in the field of sound healing, and an author and researcher. And our subject today is the vast, incredible field of music sound and its power in healing. So I thought I'd start by asking you, what is the most exciting thing in the field of sound healing today? The most exciting thing, I think, is that more and more people are recognizing the potential and even more than that, recognizing and using the benefits and experiencing the benefits in their own lives. You know, for so many hundreds of years, a lot of the information and the secrets of sound healing were really hidden from most people. It was part of esoteric he uh, healing many thousands of years ago in many traditional cultures and uh, it's now something that's getting out much more to the public. People are using it to go to sleep as, as we were talking about before, but for much uh, uh, and, and many other uh, uses, but not just any music. And that's what we'll, we'll be talking about. You have to choose the right sounds and the right music for yourself. Uh, most music is, in, uh, is composed for entertainment as opposed to some of the higher functions and more functional aspects. Uh, but what's so exciting is there's finally more research coming and being done and what people are experiencing in their own lives, which because the research is always going to be lagging behind. Uh, so that, that's really exciting to me. When I started doing the work that I've been doing publicly, I was typically the first person to be having conversations on radio, on TV, or uh, in uh, magazines, and newspapers, talking about the healing powers of music, tracing that lineage back 5,000 years or even 25,000 years. And people said, we've never heard of such a thing. So part of the exciting aspect of, of the whole genre is that people are hearing about it now. So that's a big, major step. Sorry about that. Let me turn this down which was turned down but the power went out before there we go and it went back on so there we are and you mentioned the secrets you know ancient cultures may have um had used sound healing but it was more there were it was contained in secrets or it wasn't widely known to the public so can you tell us what are these secrets well well some of them in terms of where sound and music were used were in the priest craft. So the priests would know about things, the healers would know things, the royal court would know things. Whether we're talking about ancient Egypt, where certain sounds were used for the royalty in ancient Greece or ancient China, they were all aspects of uh, esoteric uh, information that was built into the daily lives and the ritual lives but that was reserved for those individuals. In ancient China, the uh, emperor would send out the court astrologers and musicians to find out what the tone of his reign would be. Well, that's a very different situation than we have nowadays. So that the, the ruling people wanted to be in tune with the tone of their times. Now, uh, we're finding out now that some of the megalithic structures like Stonehenge, like some of the uh, underground caves and some of the 
places of worship were actually places that would, by their very structure and harmonic nature, would support certain waveforms that would get people into alpha and theta states that would allow them to co come into a higher state of coherence with their own divinity and literally to make a connection with their own uh, spiritual essence and with what they would call the divine, God, higher power, whatever word we're calling about, it was more than just our physical being. And the people who held that control and that knowledge were the priests, uh, etc., and the religious leaders, and they kept that for themselves to keep that power for themselves. So now this is something that's been part of uh, democratization. I don't know if you have the TV show in Canada called Ancient Aliens, but some of this information is now out on mass TV. It's in books by Freddie Silver, uh, William Henry, and many other people, David Wilcock. So the ancient secrets of building structures that would actually support our well-being, very different than just making a rectangular room because that's easy to construct that the, actually the architecture was designed to raise our vibratory rate. And uh, in my own life, using music to raise our vibratory rate, starting with myself, when I, when I learned about that ancient tradition, I said, well, this is something that I recognized at a deep level, something that I found really attractive and actually had no choice but to pursue that, even though there was really no place to study that. So I went to books, I would apprentice different people, I would have past life readings, would go to Egypt and other places, and just by being inside the Great Pyramid, would find that certain memories were reactivated, the cellular memories were being reactivated, and I would know things and remember things that I could bring into my recordings. And that's very different than what most musicians bring into their recordings. So it's one of the, uh, uh, things that's hard to describe. And for many years, I didn't even talk about it because just a little, little too much uh, to get into, just letting the music speak for itself. But as I've begun to understand more about what is enclosed in, uh, within the recordings that I've been working with, there is a frequency. And that's part of what I carry with me as a musician. Every musician carries frequencies, every, every individual does. The question is, is that something that will be healing to others just for themselves or uh, is it just something that's uh, for entertainment? And, and that's fine also, but it's a different purpose. There was a lot to your answer that we can, we can jump off on, but one you just mentioned, we each carry our own frequency. So is this in terms of um, an unheard sound vibration that each of us cultivate somehow, or how would you describe that in a way that's a little more? Well, just like we have our own fingerprint and most people have their own voice. I mean, some people are able to copy a voice. There is that individual tone. That's one of the reasons why we love certain singers, the tone of their voice. As an instrumentalist, when I was growing up and coming up uh, with, with my teachers, we were taught and trained to find our own voice, our own tone. It's something I've always sought through uh, guitar, when I was playing a lot of guitar, 
through trumpet and now through the, the keyboards and the particular electric piano that I use has a, has a very special tone that as soon as I heard it, part of me just melted and melted into the music. And that was great. Some people, some psychics can actually hear an individual's tone. That's not necessarily something I can hear, but I could sense sometimes. I've done uh, soul portraits for individuals where I will kind of tune into their keynote. According to some knowledge systems, we each have, just like we have chakras that have an individual tone associated with them, uh, the first chakra being C and the second chakra D and so on up to the uh, crown chakra at uh, the keynote of B. Uh, there are 12 semitones, so some systems say that every one of us just like the 12 astrology uh, symbols, constellations, each of us have one of those tones that relates to that. So there was so much in your answer that we can talk about, but one of the things that you just spoke about was that each person carries their own tone. Can you tell us more about that? Well, sure. I mean, the most obvious way is, is in terms of the tone of a voice. But if we understand that every molecule, every atom, every cell and gland in our body is vibrating, anything that vibrates puts out a sound, whether we can hear it or not. Uh, some of these scientists that I've worked with, like uh, Dr. Valerie Hunt, have developed uh, certain microphones that can record the sound of these cells, of different organs. So there are those concepts of, of, of tones. And as all of our cells and molecules come together, that makes one individual tone for, for that person. Most people don't hear it. There are some psychics who actually can hear that tone. Uh, Sherry Edwards, working with bio-tuning and the signature sounds, uh, identifies tones that might be missing in our voice. So there's a whole system of healing that she has developed that works on that aspect of tonality and what is in what comes through the voice and what may be lacking. There might be a tone, just like there might be a vitamin deficiency, there might be a tonal deficiency. One of the reasons why my first album was Chakra Suite, which was feeding the nutrient tones, the sound nutrition that relate to each of the chakras was because if you get the full complement of the major tones of a scale of an octave, there will be something that is in tune with you that will nourish any deficiency and bring you into a greater level of balance and coherence. And that's really part of the key. Any of these aspects assist the body in healing itself and coming into a higher level of balance. And, and that's really a, a lot of the key. So I'm sure you've, you've, produced, you've been doing this for so long. And in addition, you do concerts and live events. And I'm sure lots of people write to you with feedback. What are some of the things that people use your music for and that have well, had success in using it for that? Nowadays, uh, it runs such a wide spectrum. People who are having a problem sleeping, which, you know, 
we make jokes, your music puts us to sleep. And that's a great thing because we had insomnia. And then they go on to explain how they've tried all these different things. They've turned off the lights. They've stopped looking at TV. You know, they've stopped looking at their cell phone or computer. But if they played the wrong kind of music, that might still be keeping them up because it engages the analytical part of the brain. Whereas if you play music that gets you into the alpha state and the theta state and the delta state, this makes it easier to shift gears. And even though it's not very sexy, all the research now that's coming out saying if you have a chronic sleep deficiency, a deficit, as 70 million people in America do, that's, that's the figures that are out there in public, that may be more fundamental to them than what you eat, what you're you know, not exercising, the importance of sleep. So I've gotten so many letters and emails and tweets about that. Uh, people who are having problems studying or learning, whether it's uh, in school or as adults, the, the, the growing awareness of what's called ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity or just regular activity, uh, the lack of being able to focus. Most music is designed to make it harder for you to focus. The music is designed and composed to get you to pay attention to the music. And when I was in the entertainment field, jazz, rock, etc., we wanted you to pay attention to us. We had practiced for so many years, and it could be classical music also. The whole point was to pay attention to the music. When this new music started uh, introducing itself to me, when I started playing the healing music that I do, it was not about me. It was not about, I want you to be impressed by the fancy scales that I could play. It was about what would, the, what would this music do for you? And that's been what people have, have been writing me about. When I did one of my very first public concerts, I did the, the chakra suite coming up through the chakras. And at the end, everyone was in meditative state. Dr. Virginia Satir, the great marriage and family counselor was there and she was very moved and understood there was something profound going on. And another elderly gentleman came up to me and said, that was a very profound experience. I could feel my right ankle and my right foot. And I didn't understand why that was so significant. He said, because I haven't felt it in the last 20 years. I've had a, a problem with that. The music opened up nerve pathways for the nerves to get down and sensation to get down into his foot below the knee. That's remarkable. Right. You know, now that was one case. But that was because he had a chance to tell me that directly. I've had people who even say, when my cat was sick, it would walk up and curl itself around the stereo speakers. These were small speakers, so the cat could do that. And I was visiting her uh, the next year, and I actually saw the cat do that when my uh, album came on. And then the uh, stereo system moved to another musician uh, played another guy's uh, CD. Their cat got up and limped away. And I said, as an experiment, now this is just with a cat who had not gone to school, had not read any, any reviews, uh, put Chakra Suite back on. And she did. And the cat limped back across the room, wrapped itself around the speaker again. I didn't have a cell phone because this was back in the 80s. We didn't have video. But I saw that with my own eyes. And that tells me that there was something healing that's beyond just the notes. There's an energetic. And when people 
are listening or even listening as background, there is a healing context, a healing ambience that's set up. Uh, one of the great uh, healers in America, Rose uh, Star Fuentes, a spiritual teacher, said that part of what my music does, it creates a sound field in which we connect to source, that there's something that changes in the environment and no one fully understands it because there isn't money to do the kind of research that might really identify it, but it would be research using equipment like what NASA has that uh, identifies very subtle nerve pulses, electromagnetic frequencies beyond just what we can see and hear into the ultraviolet, into the auric phase, into the uh, etheric, etc., other levels. But those things have gone on. And, and simple things like, uh, I was always angry. I, well, one of the main ones is that people have been unable to relax. And they would get a hold of my music, whether they found it themselves or they heard it at a workshop and say, I've never been able to relax before, but when I put your music on, I'm able to relax. Your music helps me feel like home. When I was uh, the musician in residence with John Bradshaw, the great marriage and family counselor who brought the concept of uh, the inner child into popular domain, popular consciousness, was the first time that people understood that getting quiet, tapping into that silence inside is fundamental to mental health. He was also doing a lot of work with um, addiction. And Bradshaw would be saying that one of the hallmarks of addiction is that there's a hole in the soul. People are not able to contact that inner silence, that peacefulness inside. And when they would listen to my music, they said for the first time, they were able to contact that place. So I've had, uh, obviously they're anonymous, but a lot of people in the recovery movement who use my music as part of their recovery program, Bradshaw himself, when we met, that was the first thing he told me. Your music helps me work my program of personal recovery. What a profound gift that was for me as a musician to be able to save lives with someone who could articulate and then go on to help so many other millions of people. So those are some of the things, as well as the meditators uh, and the spiritual teachers who've been using my music, the massage uh, therapists who said, you know, a lot of times I come in and the person is a little uptight and they don't, and particularly if it's their first massage, they don't know what it's like to be touched or they're just uptight for whatever reason. I put your music on and their bodies loosen up and relax. I don't have to work as hard to get through their muscle tightness. So as a massage therapist, it makes their job easier. They feel more relaxed at the end of the day. What a great gift. So I've always had uh, a large uh, audience and fan base in the massage therapy field. I've had the honor of speaking several times to the national conventions. And um, it was actually one of the very first challenges that I was given when I got to California and want to experience a massage for myself. They play, uh, the first massage therapist played Beethoven's Ninth. 
Oh, that's so dramatic. Exactly. And I said, I came here for relaxation. He says, well, if you don't like that music, that's what we were taught in massage uh, school, then make some of your own. But I couldn't play and get a massage at the same time. So one of the first reasons I made my first little recordings on cassette was so that I'd have something to listen to when I was getting a massage for myself. And that spread and uh, the massage field uh, was one of the first fields that I was uh, significantly contributing to in the early days when people had uh, their own cassettes and then CD players to program the right sound environment in which rapport is enhanced between the massage person and the client, as well as the experience for the, uh, the individual getting massage, they get a deeper experience and they go and they experience a greater level of healing because the environment is in harmony with that goal as opposed to fighting it. So those are, those are some of the specifics that I could give you that so many people have experienced over the years. So let's just take a detour for a moment because you mentioned cassettes, which was such a long time ago and technology has changed so much. Has digital technology been a good, good positive thing or negative thing in terms of sound healing and accessing larger audiences? Uh, it's a mixed bag. So the digital phenomena, and you're referring also to streaming. Yes. So for me, I don't listen to, well, as a, as a composer, as a musician, and even before I started doing my own recordings, I was always very particular about what I would listen to some things would just drive me up the wall. I remember even, you know, when I was living at home with my parents in, uh, through grade school and high school, if a song would come on the radio that I didn't like, I'd make them change the channel. I said, that's driving me up the wall or it hurts me or it's making me feel bad. And they said, they didn't say quite, you're, you're a very strange young man, but other people would say that. And you find out who your friends are. Years later, we found out that if the music that you listen to is creating stress, it, it will take 10 times that amount of uh, duration of time to come back into balance. Well, with, this, with most things, and starting, I guess, with Apple and the iPod with the shuffle phenomenon, where you would get one song that might be great, and then two or three songs that would dr well, drive me up the wall, that's really hard for me to deal with. And I would get so irritated if the musician were playing out of tune, or if I didn't like the tones of the instrument, uh, so for me, it doesn't work that well. For, but the convenience is that millions of people who never listen to music for spas or music for massage or new age music or whatever we call it, are now listening to that. Again, the downside is they're not listening deeply. They're not listening with intention. It's just there. It's, it's the new form of music. It's oral wallpaper. It's just there. Most people don't even look at who the musician was that did a piece of music. And so is that an inherent part of um, sound healing is the intention and th the way that we listen to it in order for it to be effective? That's a great question. Not necessarily because some people say they're getting healing benefits even if the musician d was not playing for healing. But again, there are levels of healing. You can get a little healing and, and a little healing is better than no healing. Mm -hmm. And I've had people who say, 
would, would say, oh, I love that individual. And I know that as a flute, uh, that that person as a flute player plays out of tune most of the time. It drives me and a lot of other musicians crazy. But here's another person who says, that music really makes me feel good or it's healing to me. Now, what I did in my early research was we actually hooked up biofeedback and found that that many times what people think is relaxing or they think is healing, when you look at the biochemical and, and bio uh, electromag electromagnetic markers, their bodies are not in balance. They're not in a relaxed state, but it may be comparative compared to getting yelled at by their boss or their spouse. That's more healing for them. And so I'm, I'm now a lot more open to different levels of healing. Mm -hmm. So it's not for me to say that it's, it's not good. I do know that most people will put on a, a, a station on, on their streaming service and never even look at what musician is coming, coming on. I know that if you play uh, on the Stephen Halpern channel on Pandora or Spotify, there's only three or four of my songs per hour. And then there's other people. And the times that I've tuned into those channels, the music that they say is similar to mine from my ear and what my body says, it's so not similar to me that some of it really drives me up the wall. But if it works for you, then there's so much more uh, opportunity to find and any time that you could begin to program and choose the, uh, the songs that you want to have shuffled, then you're in a position to be your own, as we say, your own DJ, to program from your own choices uh, and if you're listening to something else, then I always have to have a remote handy so that if a song comes on that I don't like, I could mute or change the channel. And I find that very important for me, for my own sanity. But, you know, just like Mozart in Mozart and Mozart, Mozart and many of the, the composers and musicians that I know have exactly that same really radical uh, and narrow uh, field of what works and what doesn't. And that's kind of a, uh, it's a double-edged sword, mm -hmm. but it's the one that I came in with in the same way that uh, the downside of sound healing is sounds that make us feel sick. One of them was a family refrigerator that I had when I was growing up uh, in my family's home. And that refrigerator had a low rumble that when I would complain to my parents and say, it hurts my stomach, that's why I'm having di di digestive problems. My father would look at me and say, don't be ridiculous. It doesn't affect me. How could something that I don't even hear, said my father, affect you, which completely tried to invalidate my own experience. And uh, so shut up and just eat your, you know, eat your dinner. Part of the research I did years later was to find that, that yes, those low frequency sounds for people who are more highly sensitive to those will disrupt your digestion, will inhibit the flow of gastric, literally the flow of gastric juices, making it uh, much less uh, 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 successful and effective to digest the food that you're eating. So you might be eating organic food, but if you're not digesting it well, you're not going to assimilate well. So there's all the different levels that just because people don't recognize the effect doesn't mean it's happening. Just because they think they're getting relaxed, doesn't mean they really are getting relaxed, but even a little bit is better than none. 
So let's talk about the opposite of sound healing, which would be noise pollution and noise oh, yeah. pollution in a city, in someone's house, all the, you know, even going into a retail store where oh. there's music blaring. I mean, how damaging is this to our systems and our brain? Well, again, people have different levels of sensitivity. I've always been hypersensitive to this. In fact, that's one of the reasons with, with the new definitions of ADD, of attention deficit, there's a whole spectrum. And one of them, it's not well known, is being highly sensitive to sounds. Now, some of the individuals, and I'm gonna to relate to your question in a second, hear sounds with a delay. I hear sounds in real time. I just hear more sounds than most people. My actual hearing range goes up above the normal range that people hear. Mm -hmm. So when I've gone to audiology labs, they said, if you have any hearing problems, our equipment can't measure. We've never met someone who could hear as high beyond what our machines can put out. So I'm in the minority. But when I go to the mall or I go to the places, some of those sounds just drive me crazy. When I go into certain... Uh, restaurants or certain stores if the music is so dissonant for me or so loud i know that i'm not going to be able to shop well and one of the large uh, natural food chains now has upped the volume in their stores tremendously and they're playing music that makes you shop faster well it makes it harder to concentrate and I was writing about this 30 years ago in my first book. It was well known, just like they you know, do in Las Vegas, if you play loud, fast music and dissonant music uh, or music with words that are particularly downer, uh, emotional constructs, it will confuse a lot of people's brains. You'll buy things you don't you didn't go in there to buy, you will not be able to concentrate and focus. Literally, it's harder for my eyes to read labels when that kind of music is on in the background. So I find that there are certain stores I can't even go in and shop with. Now that's a decision I make and I take my economic buying power to other uh, facilities and other stores. Well, a lot of people say, I'm here, I'll just go out and buy. And what I notice is I get hungry in those situations. I will crave more sugary foods because it's a stress. Now, some people will reach for sugar foods. Some people will reach for alcohol or other drugs because the sounds in those, uh, in those retail outlets or those restaurants will actually create stress, will create chemical imbalances. And when I understood that and recognized that, Part of the way that I take care of myself is I remove myself from those situations. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's meant I'll go with some friends to a restaurant. I said, excuse me, I need to leave. We all, we, we can all leave, but I can't accompany you in there because I know I'm not going to be able to taste the food. Well, I'm not going to be able to enjoy it. I can barely even speak to you over the volume that's going on there. And part of the reason is that many restaurants in particular, <laughs> choose and work with consultants that say, if you want to sell more high-priced food and have a faster turnover, people will literally chew at the speeds of the bath, at the background, at the rhythm of the background music. So they will gobble up their food. They won't taste it as much and they'll move in and out and the restaurant can make more money because there's more turnover. Well, any, any restaurant that is more interested in turnover than my aesthetic enjoyment, 
of the food is not a restaurant that I want to patronize. So that's how I deal with that. And I, I've gotten standing ovations sometimes. Uh, when I was first going on, to, on, on tour, going to all these different cities, where if the restaurant started quietly, and then by the time my entree came, it really cranked up the volume, was playing faster music, I would take a napkin or tablecloth with me and do a little um, uh, survey and go around to different tables and say, would you like to sign my petition to get the restaurant to quiet down and change the music? And many people said, yes, I hate this music. Some people would say, no, I like this music. And other people would say, what music? So I really watched out for those people. And I understood that people have many different levels at which they just go through life. Some are basically unconscious. Well, that was not a choice that I had. My body wouldn't allow me to stay unconscious. And when I learned how to take care of myself in the sound domain and from noise pollution, I would do that. Now, interestingly, just for the last couple of weeks on my street, they've been putting in new sewer lines and new gas lines. So every day there's backhoes and jackhammers. And there are some days that I just can't take it. I get in my car and just have to escape. Uh, and what I notice, I have a physical hangover the next day from that noise pollution. And I noticed that a lot of other people may just have a couple more beers or something else, or a couple more cups of coffee and not notice that. But because I don't have all those options, I'm really aware of something knocks me out of my own alignment. And I have always been uh, uh, into natural healing. So it's easier to stay in tune if you take care to surround yourself with, with a more harmonious environment and not assault yourself with things that make noise, even in your own apartment or where you live. Many people still have ticking clocks. I have found ticking clocks on the walls, in people's homes, in massage, in, in massage treatment rooms. And I say, I can't breathe when that clock is forcing me to try to entrain to the rhythm of the clock, even worse is a grandfather clock. And uh, I say, if I'm gonna get a massage here, please move that clock. And I, usually they're on a little hook on the wall. We could take it outside. They were silent electric clocks. I'm saying, why do you have a clock that goes tick, 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 that creates stress for most people? And yeah, most I never thought about that. Well, part of my job is to recognize hidden stressors and to eliminate them because that's part of how I stay sane in my own life. Now, you mentioned an important word, which we haven't gotten into yet. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk about right. brain and train entrainment yes. and how we resonate into we resonate when there's another person or another sound in proximity to us. So Let's talk a little bit about that now. Great. So, so we'll start with a definition of entrainment. Entrainment relates to a physical phenomenon where one vibratory or rhythmic pulsation causes another rhythmic system to sync up, to synchronize, and the stronger one will tip excuse me, typically override the weaker one, but they come into entrainment. 
This is a physical law. It's where if I tap my hands like this, your heartbeat will synchronize with my clapping of hands. I can click my fingers and your heartbeat, your nervous system will come, will become entrained. If, uh, and that's why so many spiritual traditions have the, uh, taking a deep breath to unhinge us from the external entrainment to a deeper entrainment. Well, this happens on the physical level with the heartbeat, but it also happens with the brain waves. And scientists have analyzed the electrical pulsations that happen in the brain and have broken and uh, sequestered those into several different categories, alpha and beta and theta and delta at different frequencies. So if the brain is uh, pulsing at between, let's say 13 and 39 cycles per second, as it probably is right now as we're speaking, that's called the beta state, that's normal waking consciousness. When we slow that down, we get into the alpha state between eight and 12 cycles per second. At the lower rays, that gets you in tune with the fundamental harmonic of the earth itself. Below that, slower yet, is theta between four and seven cycles per second. And that's, uh, although alpha is, is related to relaxation and meditation, theta takes you deeper into meditation, deeper into the healing. It's where your brain is in the most receptive states for positive programming, positive affirmations, and where the body's own innate healing intelligence is allowed to work more effectively where your own consciousness resonates and entrains and can speak and communicate to your genes, to your DNA. This is what Deepak Chopra and Dr. Rudolf Tanzi's new books are about, the super genes and uh, supermind, where you could communicate and instruct your genes to express for your optimal well-being by, and being in a higher, in, in a, the proper state of a brainwave entrainment makes it a more efficient process. When we get even slower into the brainwave states of delta between one and three cycles per second, and most music is not composed to get you into sleep, when you're in that state, uh, even the same, and I've, I've done a lot of research with it, the same piece of music, uh, if, you, if I, as I do, encode frequencies that have either frequencies, let's say between one and three cycles per second, I could put you to sleep with the same music that will get you into a creative meditative state where your uh, sense of creativity is heightened in the theta state and where you feel uh, the sensations and feelings of inner peace in the alpha state. The same piece of music, if I just by changing the frequency at which uh, part of the orchestration, part of the brainwave entrainment matrix that's included in the music as a carrier wave, even if you don't hear it, your brain decodes that frequency and naturally you shift into that frequency. You don't have a choice. Just as with the heartbeat, you can't tell your heart, do not follow this rhythm. That's why so many fast songs on the radio, because it's like, audio adrenaline, it gets you hyped up a little bit, like audio caffeine. And that's great for a lot of times. It's great if you're going out and dancing. It's great if you want to be working out. But it's not great if you're looking 
to study, if, if you're looking to meditate, if you're looking to relax or go to sleep, or for most people to get a massage. You want to relax. And uh, the musician's brain waves, if they are not in harmony with the intention of creating relaxation, there will be a cognitive dissonance going on. So for me in the studio, one of the things that I've always loved about my job and my work description is that in order to play healing music, I have to be in a balanced healing state myself. I can play the notes in other states, but the vibe, the impact will not be the same. And that's why uh, in, with classical music, uh, Dr. John Diamond did a lot of great research uh, in the 70s and 80s, where all the notes of some of the great classical musicians would be right, but the feelings would be very uh, stressful. There was so much ego, or so much tension when they were recording because they were afraid of playing a wrong note, making a mistake, that that energy was also in, uh, encapsulated and captured in the music, riding as a carrier wave that you could feel when you sensitize to it as a tightness in your chest, as a tightness in your throat. But if you don't know to be looking for that, you won't feel that. It was something that I tuned into early on. And as I would speak with different other scientists and different spiritual teachers, found that that's what I'm feeling. And when I, I used to be at concerts and say to the person next to me, boy, do you feel a tightness in your chest when the violinist made that mistake? And they would look at me and say, that's pretty strange, and they'd move away from me. I was the one who was tuning into the reality, but I found out that maybe it's better not to say that and share that with people you don't know or that you happen to be sitting next to, or maybe even people that you do know of, unless I know you, unless I know you well, and honor your sensitivity. I think that the more people get into meditation and healing, the more sensitive they are, and they start understanding these aspects. Some of this is built into uh, some of the music we hear on radio, some is her, uh, what we see uh, on film and on TV, because some of these people know about sound design, and they know how to create dissonance and more stress in the, in the uh, viewer and in the listener and in, in the audience. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in creating more peace and harmony and balance. And, and uh, you know, that typically doesn't get you uh, onto the best-selling charts. Uh, very interestingly, it did uh, some years ago, as we mentioned, and I'll just hold this up for a second, we'll show and tell, get a Grammy nomination for my album Deep Alpha, which... Uh, I'm su sure surprised a lot of the people at the Grammys. In fact, the people at Billboard and Grammys uh, spoke to me and said, you know, you have a spelling error on the front of your album. It says brainwave entrainment. You spelled entertainment wrong. <laughs> and I got to explain to them, no, there's a different concept here. Entrainment is not the same as entertainment. So we have to understand that that is a viable aspect. It's not taught in most music classes, certainly in, in music schools, not taught. So it's podcasts like this that people start understanding that there are other levels at which music affects us. It's part of what I go into in my workshops is what I'll be doing at the uh, Unity Church and sponsored also by Banyan uh, Books in uh, uh, Vancouver on December 8th and the concert on December 7th. We'll just get a little plug in there before we forget. Uh, 
when people attend a concert, they often come away feeling feelings that they've not usually felt out in public in concerts, but the concert is billed more as a healing event rather than just an entertainment. It's uplifting and enlightening entertainment. Uh, so I don't put you into a trance. I don't make you fall asleep. But I also have learned that the last song of the night will be more rousing because in the early days, I would end on a very meditative song. And 10 minutes after you know the concert was over, people would kind of float back into the room and say, could you play a faster song with a beat so we could drive our cars more effectively and safer? So mm -hmm. I do that to get people back into their bodies. And, so... Uh, you know, the intention of the musician intention. is really important, but you also mentioned very early on in this interview that you get inspiration or that um, there might be, um, you might be accessing inspiration from, from other beings or other realms. Can you speak a little bit about where your music comes from? What a great question. Thank you. Uh, yes, in the early days, when, well, let me put it this way, uh, when I was in college, I studied a lot with some of the great poets who at that point were in residence at the University of Buffalo, 1965 to 1969. And they would uh, speak about the ancient Greeks and their tradition of tuning into their muse. As poets, they would tune into the muse of poetry and the musicians would turn into the muse of music. That's where we get the name. Well, I said, well, that's, that's for me. How do I turn into my muse? How do I tune into that? And the first time that happened to me was playing high energy music like uh, the music that John Coltrane played in the company of some great musicians. So where as a trumpet player, suddenly I was not thinking about what I was playing, but the music just played itself. Well, years later, when the new music, the meditation music started flowing through me, I started being able to play it on the piano and was not really aware of fully what was happening. And several things would happen. I would have psychics tell me, the beings that would they would see around me or they would say the levels or the spiritual masses that they perceived that I was tuning into. I didn't see them, but I could feel a presence that I knew was not something just from my own brain. And uh, over the years, I've had uh, a number of different experiences where I can now kind of identify. It's not always the same. And I don't usually talk about this publicly, but I've had uh, experiences where it was clearly uh, inspire, uh, inspiration from some of the great classical masters, uh, one of whom uh, was an early pioneer in healing music with sound and color, Alexander Scriabin from Russia. Uh, in 1979, I was reading a biography of him, uh, and I was in the Bahamas, I'll just mention this, uh, bright sun, I'm reading out on the beach. I got a large, uh, from the sun, a large cold sore, a fever blister or a cold sore from the sun. And I'm reading the book and I turn on to uh, the chapter, uh, chapter nine. And it said on April 16th, Scrappin died of a large pimple that burst on his lip. It was April 16th. And I looked at that, 
I closed the book. I ran in and hid inside for the rest of the day and said, there's a connection going on here that I need to find out more about. Well, over the years, as I said, when I was in Egypt in 1980 and 81, I had cellular memories open up from being inside the pyramid by being in some of those sacred temples of Abydos, where I would remember things. And I don't know how that was all happening, but it's something that continues. And for me, a place of pure silence that's totally soundproofed is the recording studio. And that's where there have been times that I have many times just played on automatic. I close my eyes and my finger play things that I've never played before. And some of them are uh, conceptually better than things I've ever played before. And if I think about it at the time, and I, sometimes I've done that, I say, wow, I've never played that before. It might be a fast run or a combination of notes. That would break the spell. But where I'm just in my state and in the zone, it's like I become part of the music. I become one with the music. And the music flows through. Many musicians talk about it. Many vocalists, many musicians have that experience, just as many artists do, many writers do. But my guidance had always been, don't mention the names, certainly early on when this was not uh, something that most people would speak about publicly, but it's, it was enough to know that it's happened so much in my life that I've referred to them, like on the album Gifts of the Angels, as my band, my band of angels, my band of co-composers that assist me. And when I'm listening to music late at night, when I'm editing, sometimes I will get an idea that will just pop into my head that as soon as I hear that, when I go into the studio the next time I'm, I'm scheduled, I'll be able to play that without rehearsal. I just go in, nail it, and it's one take. I can tell you that that's a very cost-effective and time-effective <laughs> way of working music so I don't, and there are some musicians that play everything note for note the same and they totally are rehearsed. I go in and get myself in tune and in balance and I play from a state of balance and peace. And I do also uh, always silently intone and acknowledge the musician's prayer that I learned from reading about Edgar Casey, where I pray that the music that comes through is of the highest quality to serve the highest good of the people who are listening. Now that's a very different approach than when I was coming from when I was a jazz musician or rock musician, uh, trying to impress the audiences and wow, you're a great musician. That was a really fancy run. It's a very different vibe. And uh, it wasn't important to say where or who it's coming from, just that, yes, there is, there is help. I've always acknowledged that. And um, it's always been a part of what I do. And part of what keeps me being so interested and involved in creating new music is that I never totally know when this will happen. It's always happened at least once in every major recording that I've done. But there will be sometimes, in fact, sometimes it's just the sound of the instrument that we get uh, in the studio could be a new uh, software setting with new combination of reverb or echo. And I will feel a little 
click go on inside the middle of my head and I know I've shifted into a deeper state of consciousness and then I can't talk for the next half hour. I can't lift my fingers from the keyboard and my engineer knows to just keep the computer rolling. Don't speak, just get it all on tape. Make sure there's no distortion. He's a great engineer. So we have that nonverbal communication. And that's how, in fact, the music on Deep Alpha and Deep Theta happened when, as part of my research, I'm saying, well, how will the same piece of music affect me or affect other people differently if I add and mix different brainwave entrainment frequencies to the same piece of music? So that's what I was starting to do that day. And then I had the thought that, I don't know why I didn't think of this before. Let me record with eight cycles deep alpha in my headphones. Let me record with seven cycles in theta and six and five and four. And let me see if there's a difference that I could feel. So a lot of the, comp well, all the compositions on those albums began as I was listening to brainwave entrainment, the tonalities, which sound a little like at the beginning of some of the songs, you could hear the wah, 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 you'll hear a little vibration and a little slower if it gets into deep theta, wah, 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 you'll hear the little, that's what the, the ear can perceive from the slight difference of the, uh, the different tones in the left ear and the right ear. But what happened for me when I got into deep theta is suddenly I started hearing music in my head. Usually I don't hear the music. I just play it. In this case, it was simultaneously, I would hear it and then I could play it as well as going, when I listen to the music, particularly with headphones in deep concentration and meditation, I am listening to the furthest away echoes, the deepest, the furthest away sound. And that gets me into a deeper and higher meditative state where all my senses are heightened and that's the secret of the compositions on Deep Alpha and Deep Theta. And the last tracks are what I was listening to, to which I had pre-produced and that I played along with. So if you just wanted to listen to the tracks that I was listening to before I played the uh, electric piano, they're on the album also. And you could play your own music with that or just listen to that as an ambient uh, with the ocean, without the ocean. That's been part of the secrets. And it became, uh, I remember that day, it was a breakthrough day. I said, how come I never thought of that before? Well, the, when the technology before computers, it was harder to get those kind of frequencies. Now it's very, very simple. And it's a way of really pinpointing the effect that I want to orchestrate for other people as well as for myself. So that's, that's what I would say about that. And it seems that particularly in my own state at certain frequencies, some of the higher dimensional intelligences or beings may ride in on those frequencies because it's a wavelength that they operate on and it's a harmonic of that. And it makes it easier for them to synchronize with my vibration. And that's when the link-up uh, works. And many musicians, going back to Mozart, talked about 
that when he gets into a state of reverie, he hears music in his head and he thanks God that it sounds Mozartian. It wasn't just that he's such a genius, but he was able to tap into that. Well, Liszt and Chopin and Scriabin and Schumann, many of these people would all talk about tuning into something outside of themselves. And uh, on that level, many of the new age musicians were some of the first people to speak openly about that. Uh, and uh, some maybe lie about it, some wishful thinking, and some are real. And it's uh, now I hear people talking about it <clears throat> on American Idol or The Voice, where they tap into something. Well, even Beyonce, when she talks about when she's on stage, she gets into the, the state of Sasha Fierce. Well, what is that? What is she tapping into? That's another whole conversation. But it's clear that many musicians, and there are books now and sites on the internet that you could tap into and you could do the research where people are tapping into other levels. The question is always, what is the goal? What is the intention behind that? Is it to uh, just to entertain, to get people into a lower state, to control people, to manipulate them, or to get them in touch with their own divinity? That is one of the most ancient uses of music. It's again going back to ancient Greece and Egypt and China and it's what we're doing now. It's what I've been doing since I went public in 1975 with the meditation music that I've been doing is using music as a vehicle to assist our own spiritual development and our own spiritual evolution and to create more peace and harmony on the planet. Well that's a perfect way for us to end and come full circle from the beginning in terms of understanding the the purpose of your music and the power of it it's been such a honor to listen to you speak so passionately about this field that has impacted my life and i know many others and i think it will be really wonderful when we have a chance to hear the music in person and live absolutely i look forward to being there see you all hopefully in Vancouver, December 7th and 8th. Stay tuned. In the meantime, wherever you can find my music, check it out if you haven't listened to it. And I would mention this also, not just as background when you're doing something else, give yourself even five minutes a day for all the ADD type A people who don't have the time. Make five minutes to be present with the healing music that you find healing and notice what happens. Notice how good you feel and then you'll want to do more of it. And that's, that's the blessing. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been such a pleasure and I uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you. Bye for now.